guys and welcome to Tater's Life. Today I've got an episode about ME. Emily's going to tell you all about that after. I literally cannot pronounce it to save my life. So I met Emily online, came across her profile on LinkedIn and I was like, this girl, she's cool. I like her stuff. So sent her a message and here we are doing a little podcast. So without further ado, let's talk to Emily. Emily, how are you? Oh, that is such a nice intro. Thank you. I don't think anyone's called me cool before, so thank you. <laughs> I am good, yes. Um, and just for those who don't know, Emmy is the shortened version. The actual like name of the condition is myalgic encephalomyelitis. And it is unfortunately not a Harry Potter spell. It does sound like one. I wish it was. That would be a lot more convenient for me. But um, yeah, it's quite a difficult one to say. It's a bit a of a mess. To live with. <laughs> Uh, did you say it's difficult to live with? Yes, it can be. Oh my, yeah. okay. Well, we're going to get into it, but it most definitely does sound like a Harry Potter spell. Literally, I was... Yeah, I like to start off saying that, because <laughs> lightens the mood before you get right into it. <laughs> right into the deep stuff. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about yourself before we get into your conditions. So, like, what do you do? Are you a video journalist? Like, what do you do in your spare time? Yeah, um... Currently, I'm a video journalist for Reach PLC. Before that, I did work for the Liverpool Echo, which is my local newspaper in Liverpool. Um, I'm absolutely obsessed with Liverpool. Love it. Born here. But for some reason, I don't quite have a Scouse accent. That, like, bewilders people. Maybe I do to someone who's not from Liverpool. But people in Liverpool, I get, like, I used to do Facebook Lives for the Echo. And all the comments would be like, What's this wool doing here? Because anyone who's not from Liverpool, you call a wool. I don't quite get why. But yeah, constantly I, I get comments like, she doesn't even have a Scouse accent. Like, and she's on the Liverpool Echo. What's going on here? Yeah, it does bewilder some people. I don't have a thick accent. I mean, I think I do, but... <laughs> I think you do. And you just said, don't have a Scouse accent. I was like... I know. Are you hearing yourself speak? Well, to the people of Liverpool, apparently. I don't have a Scouse accent, but I've got a Liverpool accent. Oh, okay. Is there a difference? difference. Apparently so. (laughs) (laughs) It's literally like me saying I don't have a Welsh accent. And like, it's there. (laughs) It's there. (laughs) So how did you get into your video journalism? I kind of accidentally fell into it which probably isn't the answer that you're looking for but um I studied moving image production at university and that was all about filmmaking and the theories behind filmmaking and kind of what goes in to the filmmaking journey and from there it inspired me to apply for a random job that I seen and it was just called video journalist and I was like oh, this one's a long shot. Like, I could see that it was for the Liverpool Echo um, under the Reach PLC umbrella. The Reach owns a lot of different um, newspapers and media outlets in, like throughout the UK. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to give that a shot because I love Liverpool and I'm quite a big fan of Liverpool Echo. Um, I do like a lot of the coverage that they do. Especially whenever we've got events around, I always think you know, they go all out with the coverage. And I thought, I want to be involved in that. I want to you know, be a part of the people making that coverage and have a go. 
So I put me all into the application and even though I literally poured my heart into it, I did think I'm not going to get this. I don't have a journalism qualification. All I've got is a moving image production qualification. And honestly, I don't know how far that's going to get me. So <laughs> I just hoped that the personality would come through and, and the skills that I've built up over time with photography and filmmaking and just making my own films and all that. Yeah. And somehow it worked. Woo! It was, it was very bizarre because I really didn't expect, like I spoke to someone, a friend who I knew was working freelance for the Echo at the time. And he said to me, oh, well, if you don't have a qualification, like, you probably wouldn't even get to the interview stage. But the next did. day I got to the interview stage and I was like, oh, hang on. Like, something's happening here. And I just kept saying to myself, it's like I've won, like, like you know when you've been nominated for an award and you just say to yourself, like, it's an honour just to be nominated. Yes. <laughs> like, like, that was me in that moment. I was like, it's an honour just to be interviewed. Like, <laughs> just to get that far. Because I was, like, just dying to be in that industry. And one day, me and my mum were at the Albert Dock. We were having a girls' night, staying over at the Holiday Inn, as you do. Because <laughs> there's one, like, right on the Albert Dock. It's gorgeous. My favourite place there. And um, we were having some cocktails on the dock. And then the next minute, I got a phone call offering me the job. <gasps> That's so exciting. And I was just, I couldn't speak. And the guy on the phone was like, hello, uh, did you hear me? And I was like, yes. Um, I, I was just like so shocked because I really did not think I'd get it. And you know. it, it was a roller coaster since then. It's been crazy, the amount of stuff that we've been able to do and cover and the experiences. It's been just crazy, really. And then since then, I have changed roles. I'm still at reach, but on a different brand if that makes sense like I'm just reach in general instead of the Liverpool Echo so oh. I work on multiple different titles now instead that's amazing and you covered the Eurovision didn't you if I yes I was hoping we'd get to talk about Eurovision yes, we're gonna talk you know about what? Eurovision like I actually wasn't a fan of Eurovision what this before. year yeah before I covered it oh, I wasn't okay. a fan I would only I think the only time I watched it was um the person in like the silver suit and he had a star on top of the head and I don't even know the act but like I remember watching that but yeah like I, I just had no knowledge of it but I decided um because it was actually around this time that unfortunately we were all facing redundancies oh no yeah we were at risk so I thought well like, you know, I've got to prove myself a bit more here, go all out. Because many different companies, like even now, but especially a few months ago, were all experiencing redundancies and a drought in jobs in the media industry. Like a lot of different companies have felt it at the moment. So it wasn't just reach, like it was everywhere. And it was a very <laughs> nervous time, very difficult time. And luckily, I did end up keeping the job, and many of my co-workers did as well, which was great. Amazing. But, um, yeah, it was in that moment where I realised this could be, you know, the moment where I have to prove myself to show that the position that I've got is worth keeping and, and that we should keep doing this. And then um, I just decided, well, I'm going to have to just 
do me research, find out everything I can about Eurovision, go all out and buy as many sparkly jackets as I can. How many sparkly jackets do you own now? About four. Oh, play. Play. oh yeah. my. I mean, there was a few times where I wore non-sparkly jackets, but that was for when I'd be doing like behind the scenes stuff because I got to go and watch the rehearsals take place, which was incredible. Oh, like, my God. I, I'm jealous. Like I said, I wasn't a fan before, but when I got to meet them, all the contestants and talk to them, find out their stories and actually watch them perform their passion, I was like, okay, I'm in. Like, this is good. <laughs> You've got me now. This is this is it. And I just loved the showmanship of it all and being able to, like, I went all out with makeup as well. I had glitter eyeliner. And um, I actually did, because it was in um, partnership with Ukraine as well, because we were hosting it on behalf of Ukraine and yeah. Lithuania. I decided on the day I would do the Eurovision colours as um, eyeliner. So it was partly Ukraine with the yellow and blue and then the pink for the Eurovision. Oh, I I'll have to send you a picture. Um, it took about two hours to do because I kept messing it up. <laughs> but it was worth it. Oh, and been... Alessandra from Norway, who should have won. She definitely should have won. Queen of the Kings, she well should have won. Um, she complimented my eyeliner on the turquoise carpet. And it was the best moment of my life because she is the most beautiful and heartwarming person ever. Oh, that's like, so. If lovely. not her music, she's amazing. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna check your stuff out. Like, I watched Eurovision. I was in Ireland at the time, and I just, you know, when like so much is going on, you just can't take it all in. I was like yeah. experiencing <laughs> that, but I was in like you know a house in Ireland, but I can't imagine what it must have been like to actually be there talking to everybody just actually like yeah experiencing it all that sounds so so exciting and oh it was incredible and there was actually a moment um on the last day that I was covering Eurovision um where the Venga boys were going on stage and we quickly were able to grab an interview with them now I'm not a massive music fan I much prefer like soundtracks and you know stuff like that like musicals I um, so Although, like, I've heard of the Venga Boys, I was like, I don't quite know you, but I know you. So it was a weird moment of, like, because I was with another reporter called Chris. He was our resident Eurovision reporter. He was amazing. He oh. was, like, my centre of information. <laughs> I'd be like, who are they, Chris? Quick, tell me. And he'd, he'd know everything about them. So he was my Google, <laughs> my Eurovision Google. No. Um, I literally could not have survived without him. So, so shout out to Chris. Chris. Yes. Um, so he um was very helpful and he knew everything about the Venga Boys and all that. And he went on to interview because sometimes I would present as well as film. So I decided, you know more, you interview our film. And straight after, we only had four minutes for the interview because he had to go on stage. So it was very run and gone, quick set up, couldn't do any mic tests. I was like, oh my God, with the audio, oh my God, it's going to be awful. But it was actually all fine. Like, And then the next minute, um, I seen a, one of our photographers go up on stage. He got permission. And I was like, oh, I wish I would have thought to ask about permission. Because didn't, we didn't know that any of this was happening. This was just, oh, you got a Venga Boys interview in 20 minutes. You know, <laughs> it was that quick. Like, it just was on the fly so much, Eurovision. It was crazy. So 
a scene of photography. Um, he was walking up the stairs. His name's Ian. Just thought I'd give you that detail. Thank you. Um, and and I just thought, I don't think anyone would notice if I just went on stage with the Venga Boys. Yeah, I'm sure I'll blend in. Sparkly jacket, got the sunglasses. You know, honestly, people were too busy. Like they were dealing with things that were going wrong or different security issues or getting people's passes and all that and then the person who was up on the stage letting people go on was just standing there like go like jumping to the music like yeah this is great so I just walked past and was like yeah I'm gonna go here (laughs) he let me past he let you pass yeah didn't check anything I did not have I had me Liverpool Echo lanyard but that wasn't enough to get me on really but this person was two in the moment and I was like I'm not even going to question this like I'm just going to let you do you you let me do me and I'll be on stage with the Venga boys (laughs) so I got on stage and yeah they start singing um we're going to Ibiza and all these different like you know hit songs and then this guy comes up to me I was like oh no I've been spotted I've been made oh no this is awful and I've been on for about two songs and I'm literally on the stage, can see the audience and like the Venga boys are like arms length away. And then um, he says to me, you're only supposed to be on for uh, for one song, you know? And I was like, okay, like, I'll leave. That's fine. I wasn't even supposed to be on for any songs. Like I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> so how many songs were you there for? Um, Two and a half, technically. Two and a half. I wasn't supposed to get one. Yeah, I wasn't even supposed to get one. So that is my claim to fame, being on stage with the Venga boys. It was just amazing. I love that. That's so exciting. If this is like only like the start of your career, like where is it going to go? Do you know what I mean? Like it's still... You know what? I'm I'm hoping more opportunities like that, places where I'm not supposed to be, but I make the most of it. You just like rock up at the Kardashians' house and you're just like... Yeah, why not? don't think I should be here but I am <laughs> you know what that's happened quite a few times to me so far what like has? in this job like accidentally being in places I'm not supposed to be and then just getting the absolute best opportunity from it Amazing. like um I don't know if you know the actor Stephen Graham yes I do love him, him. um yes I was supposed to just go and film the interview that was taking place but then a co-worker of mine wasn't feeling well and what we were doing was like a press junket straight after the screening of his new film Boiling Point that was out at the time and um, it's now on Netflix I believe it's an incredible film all filmed in one shot oh wow just, no, no takes so I think it's like two hours just one continuous take don't know how they did it it is pure magic it's unbelievable definitely check it out it is a stressful film though so don't watch it to relax okay thank you for that trigger warning yes but um it, it's an incredible performance by all of the actors but especially Stephen. so after we watched the film i was like oh what i've got more questions to add to that now for the other reporter to ask and um then she just said oh i'm not feeling well i'm gonna have to go home so I was like, oh, we, we can't like say to Stephen Graham sorry 
bye. <laughs> so then, I mean, I'm, I can be a relatively shy person when there's a lot of people around. But something inside of me just said, just do it. Just say you'll do it. And just just fight through the anxiety that you'll have because it'll be worth it. Like you'll get to meet him, you get to speak to him. I was only supposed to be standing in the corner, pressing the record button, making sure the audio is okay. But instead, I actually got to do that, but then actually interview him. That's so and exciting. We were only supposed to get five minutes. We got 15. It was incredible. It was amazing. And then afterwards, he spent some time just talking to me as well and getting oh, to know wow. me. Honestly, it made my life. Like, that's, that's so exciting. That and Eurovision are on par. On par. Well, if we get talking again in like a year's time or what have you, I want to know what other stuff you've been up to. Because if this is just <laughs> my early days, then like in 10 years' time or something, you're going to be doing something else. I'm hoping. Hoping there'll be more weird stories like that. That's amazing. And I've been, now that we've like painted a picture of like, your work life, what you like as a person, everything like that. How does that work with your condition? Well, it can be a challenge because as well, this kind of job that I do, it can expend a lot of energy. Yeah. So it can be difficult to get that happy medium to be able to perform the job, but also stay well. For people who don't quite know what ME actually is, okay. it's, well... It's a difficult condition to actually explain. It's a multi-system chronic illness. So there's a lot of different things going on. Some um, different organizations will define it as a neurological or neuroimmunological or an autoimmune condition or just a general blanket of chronic illness. We're not entirely sure what causes it at the moment. That's mainly because there's not a lot of research. We're still awaiting that research because it was actually branded as a psychiatric condition for well up until quite recently really like early 2000s maybe like up to about I think about 2010 it was still considered a psychological condition actually hysteria was uh, was thrown in there then there was um I think the then redefined it as like functional um, functional neuron something or other and then they were like no actually it's its own thing yeah. so we did get there with the classification a bit more but it tends to have a range of different symptoms one being fatigue muscle aches brain fog migraines all these depressing things you know and then of course that can go on to impact someone's mental health definitely so there is a mental health side Many ME patients acknowledge that wholeheartedly, but it tends to get muddled up and a lot of a lot of medical um, professionals will just see it as a mental health condition, which is quite damaging and, and not great. So we're still looking to get that research and raise awareness and make sure people are just aware to look out for those symptoms and, and know what to, to just be aware of. Although there isn't actual treatments for ME, there is management, which is being able to pace, make sure to keep your, your um, I like to call it like a happy medium. You know, try to keep within that happy medium. Make sure you don't go past your limits. 
sometimes like when I did your revision I had to go over those limits yeah because if I didn't I wouldn't have gone on stage with the Venga boys <laughs> you know I, <laughs> and I needed that and I to me I did have a flare-up after your revision but to me it was worth it yeah. although it's horrible and like a flare-up it can look different for everyone but we tend to call it post-exertional malaise or PEM for short which is where all the symptoms flare up so the fatigue becomes even worse than what it actually is and it becomes more um there was a word that my friend actually used the other day bone crushing <laughs> which lovely word isn't it lovely paint a picture um so yeah bone crushing fatigue is is um how my friend describes it and honestly I can relate to that it it does feel that that like heaviness just pure exhaustion you can't really move very much just going to the bathroom is a massive effort and then being able to make food most days if you're in a flare-up out of the question you're going to be eating cereal bars and that's it really so it can get bad and of course pain can come along with that I'm very lucky for my pain scale paracetamol takes care of it most of the time sometimes a bit of cocodamol but that I seem to be okay really you know touch wood That's with pain um but yeah the pure exhaustion and fatigue is the main symptom that I struggle with but luckily through speaking to other people with ME and going to the um it used to be called chronic fatigue syndrome this condition so going to the ME slash CFS clinic in broad green it was a little bit helpful like I wouldn't say massively helpful but a little bit it helped me learn how to pace and manage things a bit better but mainly just speaking to other patients that's mm -hmm. been the biggest impact and trying to stay within those limits not doing too much and it can mean you miss out on a lot of things but you've got to put health first that's and that's one thing that I have learned like particularly with doing this job, I've got to learn to figure out what's most important. Like for me, Eurovision again as an example, I was happy to risk a flare up because of what that meant. Because not only was it a fantastic experience that could help propel my career. So one small flare up might be worth it. So I was happy to do that. But for other things like um, I've previously been asked to do like um, overtime at work or you know, if I've just done like a big event, like if I've gone to cover a festival or something and then the next day they asked me to go cover another big event, I've had to learn to be able to say no. And that's a difficult thing to do, especially when it's your employer. You don't want to ever say no because you feel like that makes you look bad. But as I mean, I, personally, I've been very open with my work and I've even wrote about Emmy um recently for I'm working towards my seniors so we had to try and like get as much experience as I can in different areas and one of them was writing an article which I've never done before but I thought why not raise awareness for Emmy in the process so I wrote about that and then um, from that like a lot of a lot of different outlets did pick it up which was amazing um but I've forgotten where I was going with that 
No worries. Well, you've literally spoken in great detail about like what the symptoms yeah. are, what a day looks like and things like that. And I'd be interested in knowing what was your diagnosis process? Because I can imagine it was really, really difficult to actually get a diagnosis. For. Yeah. Um, well, I was diagnosed with it when I was about, well, I had it. I know that I definitely had it at 10 because yes because me and my mom both had a horrendous illness like we couldn't really move it was horrendous we're just so ill I remember as a 10 year old going into the mustering up the energy to go into the kitchen to get some water because I I was desperate for water but my mom didn't have the energy to do it I didn't and I just somehow found the energy to go get it and I got to the kitchen and just collapsed like that was that's what that's looking like that illness <laughs> wasn't great we don't know what it was but my theory is that it was glandular fever which is the main cause and um, that we believe so far to be the main cause of me and ever since then I never actually recovered like it's just kind of it's kind of like I've got the flu all the time that kind of feeling you know you've said that I because I did another podcast it's out at the moment about Emmy as well and her sort of symptoms were exactly the same but she was extremely ill and she said she just never recovered no so it's very common to hear that like in patients with Emmy did you just not recover from the age of 10 or was it just like up and down after that yeah it just felt like I've never got rid of it since the age of 10 and then of course at that point when you're a 10 year old you're not going to know how your body is supposed to feel or yeah. whether or not this is normal so I get to like the age of about 14 maybe 15 and then I go to the doctors and I'm like I'm just really tired like feeling very achy all the time don't really know what's wrong they label it as puberty understandable you know first time I came in and I'm, I'm like oh I'm so tired blah, blah, blah. I get it I get it like, I'm not blaming them for this. Like, I do get it. Might blame them later on. Um, but, like, at that point, I understand fobbing me off with that because, fair enough, it could be puberty. So um, I go back in a few years' time and I'm about 16 and I repeatedly ask. And I'm just going back and forth, asking, like, what's wrong? They do a few tests. Turns out I've got hypothyroidism as well, which oh. makes you very tired. Your thyroid... But that condition doesn't show up to its job, just doesn't want to work. It's like, no, no, <laughs> fire me, please. Like, doesn't want to work. So I um, did receive treatment for that. And then they said, you know, come back in like six months' time or review. I'm still exhausted though. So something's not quite right. And they're like, but your tests are normal. You're cured. Go home. Don't come back. <laughs> it doesn't work like that, does it? No. I was like, well, it's great that the piece of paper says that, but my body doesn't say that. You know, it's still telling me that there's something wrong. Uh, we need to know what it is. But there's no test for ME. So the only way to figure it out is by process of elimination. Mm. You test for different things of what it could be. If they all come back negative, then you go, well, you still got those symptoms, so it must be ME. And that's that's the best we've got right now. That's that. <laughs> it's just crazy. It's just like we'll just test you um, for everything yeah. under the sun. And like, yeah, it's just crazy. I'm glad all your other tests will come back great though. Like huge yes. 
up for that. Yeah. So when did you have that conversation being like, now that we've done all the tests, you've got Emmy? When how old are you? Um, I was probably about eighteen, I think. And then it took from from saying, Well, I'm not happy like with that, like we need to do better. You know, I'm still ill. We we need to look into this more, do different tests or something. And then I actually came across Emmy just from Googling. And I was like, I've got literally all those symptoms. I'm going to bring that up the next time. So went back again. Um, I, literally on my patient form, it says patient type regular. Like <laughs> I, was, I was there constantly. They were sick of me. I was sick of them. And um, before I did get that diagnosis, though, one doctor did say to me, oh, why don't you go on uh, fluoxetine? That'll help massively, like, with fatigue. I was like, okay. So I tried it. And, I mean, I felt a bit happier and all that because it is an antidepressant. Yeah. So it was treating the mental health side of things, but that doesn't treat the physical side of things. I think she was trying to, to give me a placebo effect. And I can understand, but you shouldn't really do that. It's, it's not very ethical. <laughs> not unless it's a controlled environment where you're supposed to be doing that so yeah that wasn't great I lost my trust in that doctor very much so like I decided not coming back to see you gonna request someone else so I requested a doctor who I go to see more often now and she's incredible Um, she decided to refer me to the MECFS clinic in Broad Green and they fast-tracked me and said yeah you've definitely got this like there's no doubt about it and I was like, what about the fluoxetine? And they were like, oh, that'll do nothing for me. Like, I might feel a bit happier. But... Yeah, that's crazy. Like, just... Oh, okay. So that that was just another way of fobbing me off. <laughs> like, Literally, because they probably gave you that being like, okay, you're sorted now, next patient sort of thing. Yeah. And then you're just like, listen, babes, I'm, I'm still not good. Yeah. Like, no. It just doesn't work like that, Janice. It's not happening. No, it, it was quite infuriating but at the same time I felt like I'd I'd been taken advantage of in a way like I was like I can't believe you lied to me as a doctor and said this antidepressant will help your physical condition yeah like, that's absolutely what if I went in with a broken arm you know would you give me fluoxetine then I don't think so I don't think so babes no <laughs> so there is a lot of medical stigma within the medical community surrounding ME but at the moment we are getting a lot more awareness and a lot more research I've actually just took part in two studies so amazing here's hoping we get somewhere with that oh my fingers are so tightly crossed for you because like you know it needs to be talked about people need to know about it because there's probably thousands of people out there in the world being like what is what is going on and then they literally can't put like a label on it so it is such a bizarre condition and symptoms can vary so much from person to person and then there's many different conditions that are very similar to me like fibromyalgia or POTS or Lyme disease, lupus, like there's all these different illnesses and even long COVID. The yeah. main reason why we're actually getting research into ME right now is because of the pandemic. That's the one good thing to come out of the pandemic is yeah. actual research into ME because those two conditions 
the sisters basically like they are just so similar the only difference really is the causation it seems to be you know, it's caused by covid whereas me seems to be caused by um a viral infection um i mentioned it before glandular fever yes there we go um glandular fever Or it seems like it might be genetic. There may be some kind of genome mutation um, or something to do with the mitochondria, which is the powerhouse of the cells. We all learned in science. Yeah, in school. Uh, so there seems to be a, a few different causations. They're not entirely sure what one it is, but it looks like it could be a few. But we know long COVID is definitely caused by that viral infection of having COVID. <laughs> yeah, So they're very much linked. They've got very similar symptoms and the duration of having it as well seems to be the same. Some patients can recover both ME and long COVID, but it seems for the most part, many patients do live with it for the rest of their lives. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
and over time like some people can get better it tends to be around five percent of patients can get better some improve but most stay the same or get worse and one of the main ways to make sure you get worse is to push through and just keep doing things and keep pushing keep going and I think that's actually why I ended up developing ME because during that period of time where I wasn't quite sure why I was so exhausted I think I was actually experiencing post-viral fatigue syndrome oh. which can happen quite often after a severe viral infection or an infection um, of any kind I've seen it in a few people as well just in general like people will experience a, a bout of severe fatigue and exhaustion and feeling like they've got the flu and muscle achy and all that and then it'll go but mine didn't go and I think it was just because I kept pushing through I kept pushing myself to do more things I'd try and go to the gym and push myself there and I'd think if I exercise I'll get better because a lot of the time advice from doctors will be exercise especially when you're in a body like mine you know, being plus size and going to the doctors is not the best experience. They often just see the patient for how they physically are and will think, well, you're fat, so lose weight. Like, and and that, that will be it. That will be the end of the conversation. So going in and talking about being exhausted and achy muscles, yes, yeah, that can absolutely be down to being plus size in some cases. Not in all cases, Not all, yeah. but also I wasn't as big as I am now. Like I have gained a lot of weight because I'm not able to exercise and I have IBS as well. So I can't release anything healthy if I do. It's not great for me. <laughs> no, I have that as well. And it is honestly like it's it's not fun. The doctors don't believe you when you tell them if I put lettuce in my mouth right now, like it's not going to be good. And they're like, don't believe you. <laughs> like, you can see it on the face. The like, no one believes you. You you just don't want to eat lettuce. <laughs> like, no, doctors but, they they give you a look yeah. like, okay, whatever, and then they just move on. I'm just like, babes, like I wouldn't be yes. saying this if it was like false. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't yeah. want to be here. <laughs> so yeah, yeah I guess I think one of the main reasons as well it took so long to get diagnosed, not just the medical misinformation and it being so under researched and underfunded and no knowledge about it but also I think medical fat phobia because I do present as a plus-sized woman and often women you know we're not really believed as much as as men when we go to the doctors anyway but I think being plus-sized did hinder that because they put everything down to weight as soon as it like they were over puberty they were like it's weight lose weight to do this so then I was going to the gym and I, I was trying to eat healthier and all that but that push from through eventually made me a lot worse and the recommended treatment at the time I say treatment lightly um was graded exercise therapy which has now been debunked as a treatment it's it's actually a lot more harmful yeah it does, um, more it, harm it does to make patients worse so mainly that came from um exposing the pace trials don't know if you've heard of those i haven't heard of them there was one big trial um and research into me 
there's a study called the PACE trials to look into pacing and introducing graded exercise therapy. And it was partly funded by the Department of Work and Pensions, you know, the people who don't want more people claiming disabilities. You know, they, they don't they don't want you claiming more. So um, there was a conflict of interest there, I believe. And after many, many years after, um, it came out that all of the results that said graded exercise therapy improved patients were actually faked. They were faked? They were faked, yes. Yeah, and actually many patients did worsen due to that because they were practically forced into exercising to get better. And if they weren't exercising or weren't getting better, it was their fault. Oh my so God. they would be blamed and also have their condition worsen. That's and what... we were all told because of that, um, the results from that study, it was recommended then by doctors to exercise and to gradually build up your exercise tolerance. That was seen, that seemed to be the cure. But in the past few years, we've now learned, actually, it's fake. And um, don't do that. Just don't. So the only kind of exercise, unfortunately, that I can manage is yoga and a little bit of Pilates. And that's it. And I do often, I can feel bad about that. And I've been shamed by people for that, of course. I mean, I'm used to body shaming anyway. I'm a plus size woman in society. You're going to get it. So I'm with being a presenter on the Echo and different platforms. I'm used to getting that kind of hate. Like it can happen. And I've built up thick skin. So like I'm, I'm all right with it. I know it's more of a reflection of them than me. Yeah. So I've been able to get over that. And I'm a very body positive person now anyway. But doesn't mean it doesn't hurt sometimes. <laughs> no, it does. It does hurt. Like, yeah. It's not nice having these comments being thrown at you yeah. about things that are totally out of your control as well. Like, yeah. even if you wanted to lose weight now, you couldn't do it. Like, it's just... No, I mean, I've been... I've always been bigger, but since getting an ME, it has piled on the pounds because I can't really do anything about it. I mean, we can try and control diet as much as we can as well with a dietitian, but... I'm very restricted in the healthier foods that I can eat. Yeah. <laughs> because of IBS, which is thought to be one of the main symptoms of ME now as well, like any kind of bowel issues or stomach issues, it's usually tied to ME. So it's another symptom. Uh, there's so many. <laughs> Gotta laugh about long. this. This podcast is going to be like 10 hours long if we go through all of the symptoms. You know, it might be. If I just start listing all the symptoms now, we, we could be here till tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I love the way that you're just like so positive about everything. <laughs> like this conversation, it's like a, a breath of fresh air in a weird way because you're like telling me about the condition that you're going through like your day-to-day life and everything like that but you're not like oh this is the worst thing ever you're like you know like, this is what I have and yeah. this is what society needs to do to understand and you know that is a really really good thing like having that mentality to push through as well like you're, you're a fucking queen like oh to be honest, it took me a while to get to this mindset because I was very down in the dumps for it. I mean, yeah. you get diagnosed with an illness and, you know, most likely you're never going to recover and it's going to be really, really crap. 
like you're gonna feel like like you got a hangover and the flu and being hit by a bus 24 7 it's not great you're not going to be like happy about that no one will be yeah but I think what I notice the most is like you know when someone asks you how are you yeah no one really expects an answer like a true answer you know you just expect people to go good yeah what about you yeah people do that yeah when I first got diagnosed I decided you know what I'm gonna be honest and I was so honest I was like you know what I feel like shit (laughs) it's like I feel like crap today I'm I'm exhausted um got a pain in my back or a pain in my leg like I'd just be like rolling it off and it depressed people (laughs) it depressed me but it depressed other people and then slowly it made me realize okay I think what to get people to listen and to actually take notice of this condition and not just roll their eyes and be like oh god here she goes again I needed to make it a bit more interesting and relatable and try and put a funny positive spin on it because people prefer that people are more responsive to that yeah so if I make a joke about it sounding like a Harry Potter spell people are going to be more inclined to actually listen yeah, and to yeah. try and understand it. Whereas if I just go, well, it's absolutely crap and I feel like hell 24-7, people are going to be like, oh, God, you know, you know yeah, and not want to pay attention. So I've had to learn to try and put a bit of a comedic and positive spin on it because not only does it help other people try and understand and want to learn, but it helps me a little bit as well because it makes me a bit happy to joke about this condition because it is crap. Like, it's horrible. If I could get rid of it with a magic wand, I immediately would. Of course I would. But I've got it and I've got to make the best of it. I don't want to be constantly depressed by it. I can have moments like that, especially if I'm in a flare-up and it's really affecting me and it's been weeks and I've not been able to move out the bedroom. Yeah, that's depressing. Yeah. But when I'm feeling better, if I'm able to joke about it, why not? Like, I am a big believer in, you know, if if you can't laugh about it, you'll cry. Like, it's good to cry. Yeah, it's good to cry sometimes. But it's also really good to laugh and try and make a joke out of it, make it relatable and get people to want to actually understand rather than be depressed by it and immediately put off and not want to know. So, yeah, it's been a journey. Who that don't like don't want to know, the less yeah. it's getting out there and less awareness is being yeah. like, you know, spoken about. So like it's really, really good that you're able to be like that. And yeah, it's incredible. And I have I have one more question. So yes, go ahead. What advice would you give yourself when you are actually down in that dark, dark time and you're just like, you know what? I want out. I just don't even want this anymore. Like, what do you say to yourself to get yourself out of that mentality? It is a difficult one, that. I mean, my go-to would be, oh, just keep going. It gets better. And now this is a depressing note, and I do apologise. Um, <laughs> but often with Emmy, the main reason why you can develop moderate or severe or very severe is not just from overdoing things and pushing yourself, but it's also um, the more you trigger a flare-up, 
the more likely it is you won't come back from that flare-up. Okay. And you will either stay in that flare-up forever or when you come back and, and like that flare-up will become your new normal. Or if you come back from that flare-up, you're not bouncing back to where you were. So like I always give the analogy of Emmy being like a broken phone back battery. You know, like when you charge your phone and it's not quite working and it only charged like 60%. Yeah. That's a person with Emmy. Like our battery won't charge properly. That's the main symptom of Emmy is like not having that battery being able to charge properly. And obviously different phone batteries will have different percentages and all that. Um, for me, I would say my average is about 40%. That's a good day. You know, that's the best that I can hope for is 40%. Um, but sometimes I'll notice, like, oh, I'm only getting about 30%, something's wrong, like I need to slow down. Yeah. And it's good to try and check in on yourself. But to be honest, I used to be 60%. I used to be able to bounce back to 60 And over time we're pushing through and, and we're triggering more and more flare-ups, it's gone down to about 40%. Oh, that's awful. And I am starting to realise now, okay, this can only go downwards, it can't go back up. Yeah. Super depressing. Yeah. But, um, you need to I think it, it does. And people need to be aware that that last flare-up could be the one that sets you back and you're not going to come back from it. So that's why I don't take flare-ups you know, lightly. I, I will take them seriously and I risked it for your Eurovision. And there was a part of me thinking this could be it. I could then be bed-bound. Like I know at least four different people with severe ME and very severe ME who are completely bed-bound. They oh. need people to look after them. They can't get up to go to the toilet. Like that is their life is just that bed. That's so sad. And I I don't want to get to that place. So I only ever will risk a flare-up if I know it's absolutely necessary. Yeah. And it is, it's not something to be taken lightly because you never know it. That could be the last one. So um, whenever I am in that position, though, whenever I am in a flare-up, so far my track record for recovering, recovering has been 100%, not, you know, recovering, to where I was before I was 10 but always getting back to that 40% like I've always been able to do that and um, but it is important to just constantly keep track of where you are where that happy medium is and how to get back to it it is difficult knowing that things could potentially get worse but I think for me personally I, I've been able to figure out my own limits and how to stay in them, how to get around certain things. And I'm very lucky I live with my mum. And she is an absolute angel. She does everything that she possibly can for me. And she'll always look after me. Like, she'll always be there whenever I'm in a flare-up with all the cereal bars and the juice and water. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very lucky I've got her to rely on. And for me, I think that's probably the biggest thing that's helped me because if it, it was just me I feel like if I was having flare-ups quite regularly and no one to rely on that would be difficult so whenever I'm in a flare-up I know I can rely on here and the best thing that I can do is just 
there's a new term in the ME community now called aggressive resting. <laughs> I love that term. Just aggressively rest. I aggressively. I don't quite know what it means, but from what I can gather, it just means just going for it with resting. That's sleeping, that's just lying down, maybe a little bit of TV, but no like, you know, energy draining activities just rest and from there I tend to be able to get back to where I was and you know be able to get back to what I do and I'm very very grateful that I'm able to do that because I've seen the other side of the spectrum of ME and it's heartbreaking it's unbelievable a documentary on Netflix or it may have moved off Netflix now. It could be on YouTube or Amazon Prime or somewhere. It'll be somewhere. It's called Unrest by Jennifer Breer. And she's an incredible filmmaker. She has Emmy herself. And it was a documentary about her experience with Emmy. Quite grueling to watch, but it's well worth it. Okay, I'm going to give this a search like right after this podcast ends. Because, yeah. like, you know, I'd love to just... I've heard your story, but I want to hear other stories. Like... It's just yeah. so important that we talk about she gets she gets people from around the world involved in the filmmaking process. Mm-hmm. And many patients who have severe or very severe ME are actually making the film from their own bed. Oh my and just a quick side note, um, because I know we're coming to the end now. Um, but I just wanted to mention a very famous, notable uh, figure in history did have ME or we believe from her symptoms, had Emmy. You might know her as the Lady of the Lamp. The Lady of the Lamp. Florence Nightingale. No way! Yeah. Oh, my gosh. How did she get an infection? How yeah, she got infection it, Well, they went through her old diaries, and she documented all of her symptoms. And, I mean, they didn't have blood tests like we do back, like we do now, if not then, back then. But from what we can tell and what blood tests were done, it seemed like there was nothing else that it could have been. That's she crazy. did contract an infection in the Crimean War, um, some kind of viral infection, it seemed. And then ever since, she didn't recover. Classic symptom of ME. She experienced fatigue, malaise, muscle pain, migraines, all classic symptoms of ME. And she, um, after that, didn't recover, obviously, but she did keep working. She was able to keep working. It seems she had mild to moderate ME, probably similar to what I experienced. And she did most of her work for hospitals and the medical community from her bed. She actually had meetings held in her bedroom and she had lots and lots of cats. And she would have men come into her bedroom who were very much like, oh, her, her, her bedroom. Like, oh, I cannot possibly do that. And they're like, it's her office. Like, just go in. And they'd all have to get used to working around hair and like hair medical condition. And of course, many people didn't quite believe that she had anything wrong with her. They thought, oh, it's just hysteria. You know, she's a woman. Oh, oh no, she's faking it. So there was a lot of that. But um, yeah, she was able to still have a massive impact uh, in the medical community. And we use many of her techniques today. That's crazy. I'm going to search her a little bit more. Obviously, I can't get her onto the podcast. She's long gone. But nonetheless, 
<laughs> if only. If only. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm going to just check out his stuff. But like, I really have enjoyed this podcast, like, you know, talking about like medical conditions, you know, isn't always fun or enjoyable, but you've made it so I get it like completely. So thank you so much. That's very nice of you to say. Thank you. Thank you. And have you had a good time on this podcast? You know, I really have. I just love talking and you know, I also like raising awareness of ME and I love being able to say that I went on stage with the Venga Boys. So I think, you know, we covered all that. <laughs> well, we'll catch up soon, like guaranteed. And yeah, I hope everybody enjoyed listening to this podcast. So thank you, Emily, and thank you for everybody listening. Uh, thank you very much. It has been surprisingly a lot of fun to talk about how depressing ME is. Um, <laughs> Thank you very much. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much. Bye, guys.